Picture a world where costs are down, profits are up, and customers are clamoring at your door. You're listening to Let's Get Up to Business from Jordan Law. Our interviews with business owners, service providers, and area experts can teach you how to create a world of success and profitability. If you're looking for an attorney to assist in your business formation, employment agreements, or other legal business needs, contact Jordan Law at 407-906-5529. You can also reach us on the web at jordanlawfl.com. Jordan Law, we protect you and your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our, our information series here at Jordan Law. I'm Edward Aguilera, and I'm, I'm part of the firm, and I'm so happy that we have, again, marketing guru. Gregory Eisenberg is joining us. He's a friend. You guys have seen him here. He brings in wealth of knowledge, especially in the world of marketing. Um, we're going to have to talk something that, uh, interesting. We're going to start the conversation on something that I find really interesting that's really current, and it's we just finished this whole political season. But we're not going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about the marketing aspect of the politics. What did we learn from these campaigns? What we could use from what they used and how we can implement that in our business. So Gregory, talk to us. What did we learn? What's up, Ed? First off, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love being here and talking to you as always. We've learned a lot from this political season. Things are changing. You know, a lot of things that we saw in 2016 have both escalated when it comes to how content is distributed, as well as changed. Like for an example, how advertising is managed on these platforms. A little bit of just like current news to kind of start with just right out of the gate is that Facebook and Google have went and extended their window of no political advertising. So this was a, a new change this year. Um, you may have seen that this election season leading up to the actual election date, you might have received a lot of text messages, a lot of calls, but you weren't bombarded as much on the advertising side, on Facebook, on Google. And the reason being is this year they implemented a policy that about a week out from the election, they were not going to be approving any new advertising. And it really put a limitation on, you know, some of those last minute pushes that we're used to getting force fed from candidates leading up to that Tuesday. And since there is still so much going on again with uh, going through recounts and, and so much discussion in the zeitgeist, so to speak, again, without getting political that, you know, Google and Facebook have just completely extended their no political advertising. And, you know, that would typically be no harm, no foul for most of us, because, again, 
uh, who really wants to see a lot of those anyway, especially after that election hangover where votes are in, we're just kind of letting it do its thing. But there is a few runoff elections. Uh, if people follow politics in Georgia, there is one. And um, this window of extended no advertising is certainly going to play a difference there. So again, uh, as a way to kind of tie this back to any business owner um, and, and again, anybody that is running advertising, um, this in the short term affects the inventory. So again, there's a lot more space now without the political advertising. So there, you can expect better rates on your advertising right now, actually, because you're not competing with as many, you know, political entities. So take advantage of this time if you are a digital advertiser, because you're going to be getting the most bang for your buck. But also, I say heed warning by this. You know, these platforms are still run by their consumers, which is us. And funny because we're also the product <laughs> because we, we get advertised too. Um, but, you know, they are willing to change regulations and there is going to be a lot more changes with these internal policies on these social platforms because there is always going to be so much rhetoric around how we're advertised to. So I always tell people, especially if you're in, in an industry that requires a lot of legal assistance and oversight, such as like nutrient supplements or such as even like alcohol or anything like that, um, this really becomes a big thing to watch constantly because typically this used to be the wild, wild west of advertising. And it was those platforms you can kind of get away with getting some in-depth advertising on while not having as much regulations, that's constantly changing. In the world of attorneys, uh, especially locally here in Orange County, Florida, and, and more specifically Florida as a whole, there are a lot of advertising holes to jump through, hoops to jump through with just getting advertising approved by the bar. And, you know, those things are important to see. Uh, it's something that we monitor on our end a lot with legalese marketing, um, you know, just seeing what these judgments as they come in and go out and go through and get approved on how you need to get advertisements approved. I mean, in an ideal world in marketing, you want to run as many variations as you can for an advertisement. And, uh, and if you need to get every single one approved, it definitely makes you less agile. And so knowing how these guidelines and advertising regulations, no matter what industry you're in, whether it's politics or uh, you're an attorney or you're in an industry that just has a little bit more oversight, it's just really important to see how those things play out. And, and just out to, to piggyback, everyone thinks of the runoff in Georgia. Uh, it's such a Floridians. Remember, there's a race in Apopka for city commission that's going to go to runoff. So uh, that also affects right, us right here in our backyard. Now, sure. talking about these campaigns, I, I can tell you from personal experience, I was bombarded by text messages, bombarded in social media. What do you think worked that can be now utilized in, in the business. Is it the text? Is that the, 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 the new way that folks should be doing? I know it's not new, but it seemed like much more aggressive this time. It did. It definitely did. And the worst part is, is typically if you, uh, if you've ever dabbled in the political world or campaign space, you'd know that everyone always suggests just vote early because then you're off their list. But that didn't seem to be the case. I voted right away and I still got bombarded with text. And even when I replied saying I already voted, I still got bombarded with text. In fact, I was getting bombarded with text after the election was done. 
So uh, again, I, 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 I got, I got one yesterday. So go yeah, figure. <laughs> exactly. So I go, I do believe that text messaging is fantastic. It is a great way to reach people directly. It actually has a 99% open rate because of course you, you just pop it open to get rid of it. And, and you're a little bit more uh, receptive to reading even the click, click blurb as opposed to like an email that you might have the same procedure on. So I do think text messaging is extremely valuable, extremely. However, take anything away from this, do not overuse it. Do not overkill it. If you have an intake system or any automation for like a long-term nurture, lean more on emails and use these text messages to kind of sprinkle in there because that is going to be the best way to go ahead and make sure that you're not being overbearing. However, you are still breaking through the noise occasionally. If someone's not checking their email, you make sure that they are getting those extra notifications, but it's something you have to be very cognizant about not overkilling. I would say if you're texting, you know, a prospective client more than once every two weeks, it may be too much. And with the, so again, kind of looking at this political season, was there something that you saw that you're like, you know what, that's working or something that was done very effectively? So I think it's actually really interesting. I know if you own a business, no matter what type of business it is, if you have any sort of digital you know, presence, one of the hot things that's often talked about is SEO. And, and that could be a buzzword and typically is used and thrown around as a buzzword. However, there's a lot of important parts to SEO that are not buzzwords that, you know, are things that really make a difference that typically could get overlooked. And so there is actually an article put out by a uh, publication called search metrics, and they heavily focus on SEO. And one of the things that leading up to the election they did was a full analysis on both presidential campaigns and how they were optimizing their websites for search engines. And it was really interesting because it is not a political publication. Um, reading through the article, there is zero leanings left or right in there. However, it does a very factual just check on, on the SEO metrics that any business, whether it was a political, political campaign or, or a local mom and pop shop, you know, what they should be looking at. And it's very interesting. You know, there's a few key things here that were, uh, you know, important things to mention. The first is, you know, as far as SEO visibility goes, uh, the Biden campaign was really leading month over month over month, but it was still neck on neck. However, they were both focusing on different aspects of, uh, of, of the political race. Um, one of the big things that pushed Biden over the edge was the creation of the Trump tax calculator. And that was a big uh, lead magnet, so to speak, that when we talk to any type of business and from a marketing perspective, and we're telling them, you know, create lead magnets that are relevant, that people would want, that people are interested in, that was the Biden campaign's lead magnet that was really helpful when it comes to that SEO availability. Um, when it comes to how keywords were ranking and, and the overlap there, there was only a 2% keyword overlap between the Biden and Trump wow. domains. That means they are completely touching on opposite issues and different issues. They're not even fighting over the same topics. And it's very interesting because when you look at, 
you know, the political bases there, um, you can just see a distinct difference in, you know, A, policy, B, priorities, and C, how that just, there's a very big, distinct divide in, in those political parties. And so when people, you like to talk about the decisiveness that, you know, or the divisiveness of our country right now, um, this is where it shows that there is 2% overlap on what priorities are being, you know, pushed to us as quote unquote consumers or voters, right? Um, the other thing was online competition and, and how those keywords are, you know, competing with other similar, you know, entities on the web. And it's funny, uh, one big issue that the Trump campaign had was they were they were eating themselves up. He was competing with himself online. So many of his keywords were ranked uh, to do with his personal brand, um, where the Biden campaign was competing with a lot of different organizations or other Democratic websites. Um, the Trump campaign was really competing with all of the Trump brands and the Trump, you know, news and everything revolving around that keyword of Trump. So, again, super interesting there to see where that online competition is. And again, kind of jumping back to what I said about that keyword overlap, it just shows where a lot of the rhetoric was that, um, you know, the Democratic Party was playing into anyone but Trump. They really weren't because those keywords weren't overlapping as much as, you know, they, they were supposedly doing. A lot of the rhetoric was about, you know, very related topics and not necessarily Trump himself when a lot of, you know, the Trump campaign was about, you know, the entity of Donald Trump and it created that, you know, cannibalization there. Um, as far as political content goes, again, a lot more of the Biden campaign was heavy into policy topics and touching on those keywords. And again, a lot of the Trump campaign was not necessarily even political content, but campaign appearances and merchandise and and really, again, bolstering that that brand, that personal brand that he has, as opposed to, you know, the brand of the party as a whole, which gives more of a broad uh, SEO base. And then finally, when we look at paid ads, um, something that was interesting, both campaigns really focused on their paid advertising, their paid PPC advertising, specifically on Google towards generating sales and revenue to finance the election. So a lot of their stores and a lot of their donation platforms, that's what PPC ads were driving to. So where they were prioritizing where things fell, it really went, let's make sure those first few posts that are on there, the paid sponsored ones, those are having to do with donating and the ROI that comes from investing in paid ads and then allow the content to fall underneath to really support those efforts. So again, there's a lot of different things that you can take away with the strategy overall and, and see how you can apply that to your business because a lot of this is applicable. Uh, the other thing that it shows is that, you know, again, where a lot of pollsters think they know certain things, um, these tactics that work for your business, those same principles still apply to political campaigns. They're not any different than your business. So where you can learn from them, they can also learn from you. So obviously we focused on a lot of the, the media, digital, on some of the traditional things, but something I want to touch base upon and see how businesses can actually use this is both campaigns were really using a lot of guerrilla marketing style. Sure. I think most political campaigns did it. We had the flotillas going on there. We had the caravans going. Um, 
how can or should a company even look at guerrilla marketing as a, a methodology to get your, your brand out? Sure. I think the one thing that you can say, no matter which side of the aisle you're down, is that um, Donald Trump and his political, um, I guess, affiliations, his, his political brand, so to speak, have created something that we have never seen before. You know, there might be T-shirts that people might wear for a political campaign during campaign season, but how often do you see those same shirts and hats and koozies being worn three years down the line, you know, before it's even the next campaign season? So when you look at that, you have to understand that the messaging, the story, how people feel about your brand, how important that is. That, that is really the driving factor when you are a law firm or whether you're a landscaper or whatever you're doing. If you don't have something that's quote unquote proprietary, which not everybody, not every business is going to have, it's all about creating that brand experience, creating that feeling that people, when they see your brand or hear of your brand, you know, that they are, you know, drawn to it in some sorts, or they at least recognize it and they're aware of it. I'm not saying to cause the same divisiveness that, you know, the Trump political brand might have as a whole. I think that, you know, that's one thing I would take away from politics is let's just stay away from from trying to create that divisiveness. But you do want to elicit a feeling. And most of the time you want that feeling to be good and comforting. And you want to create that feeling that people have that same concept where they will wear your shirt three years down the line. Not, oh, you know, here's a here's a branded pen. Think of me every now and then. But ways for them to become brand advocates for you and, and strong brand advocates and how important that is. That really plays into that grassroots effort. I think a lot of people were caught off guard by that in 2016. And even though he did not, you know, as of right now, win the election for this year, um, I still would say that his brand advocates are very, very, very strong. It's the reason why we're still talking about the election, you know, almost uh, over a week later. <laughs> so, and, and, I, and I guess what I probably should have done is, it, especially because of the current situation with COVID and everything, is guerrilla marketing, uh, is that even a good alternative for a generic company, for a law firm, for a landscaper, for a, a shop? Is that something that you think that, that folks should look into to, get, to gather attention? I don't even think that it's called guerrilla marketing anymore, to be honest. I think it's just marketing. I think that is just the way that people connect now. You know, we can talk about the, the pros and cons of social media all day. It's a totally different discussion. But one of the pros of it is it's really created a human factor between brands and consumers and prospective consumers. And you can message a brand, you can tweet at a brand, and, and that brand now responds as if it's somebody, because it is somebody behind there, right? I mean, for sure. most, it's not just AI yet. There's still someone managing that brand. And there's brand guidelines and there's brand voices. And I think that, you know, that typically would have been known as grass or not grassroots, but guerrilla marketing, you know, maybe 10 years ago, like going through Facebook profiles and messaging them or, you know, reaching people on a one to one basis and really personalizing things. I think just the personal experience has now just become marketing. I think that people are tired of a blanketed message. They, they don't feel spoken to. They don't feel connected. Um, you know, you see a, the Super Bowl commercials and they're great for that novelty, right? Like, oh, cool. It's an entertaining commercial. But how many of them do you feel like genuinely connected and inspired to go purchase that? 
you know, I still don't buy Bud Light, but I love the commercials. Um, however, there are brands that I connect with online and that I connect with, whether it's through a text message or, or even a retargeted ad that really speaks to me personally. That's what incites me to make an action, not just that blanketed approach of I'm going to reach a whole geo location or a whole interest group and hope something sticks. It's all about that personalization and user experience. Gregory, I think every Clydesdale in the world just shed a tear over you I not know. buying any any bud. That 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 was very sad. Um, what can I say? But you know what? Here we are. And and now now to kind of further in this, I'm talking about Clydesdales in the Super Bowl commercial, and you mentioned Bud Light. So something's working for them that that we're having this conversation about it. Um, with that said, as we progress, where do you see? things going i mean is it is it more of an ai type of marketing because obviously what, what what i'm hearing from you is that people want a personal relationship they want to feel like they're being spoken to so so is it the ai world that we're going into or or where do you see this the, the, the marketing that you know obviously the political campaign did something and what you're talking about is people want this personal relationship where are we headed i think it can go two different directions i think if you ask a lot of analysts and where a lot of you know future, you know, technologists see it going is AI. However, AI still isn't perfect. I know that there is AI already implemented in some ways that advertising is served dynamically where you can upload, you know, four headlines and it will rotate to find the best one for you. And, you know, there's AI chat bots, but at the end of the day, if you're like me, you're still screaming in the phone saying, talk to a human, talk to a human until the computer finally just gives up. So operator, operator, it, operator. <laughs> And now so part of me wonders if things are going to make a make a turn for a little bit different where maybe we do start diving down that AI path and then eventually back out of it or, or find a nice middle ground because, you know, they, they do have these, they still have call centers where there's, you know, 60 humans in there dialing away or, you know, receiving those calls. I think there's a pivot where that turns into that same type of atmosphere, except for online messaging. And, and there's a way that that is kind of streamed through. I know that sure some of these big banks are doing that where you can kind of connect with a, with a user specialist online and they connect you with somebody and you chat away. You know, I think that that's more so the direction that's sustainable um, because again, it's combining communicating with people they want to, the way they want to be communicated with, which is online on these platforms where it's convenient for them. However, they're still talking to somebody, someone that cares about them, someone that you can feel that emotion. Um, I don't, I don't care how good of a programmer you are. It's hard to really get emotion through on an AI bot and, and especially through digital chatting and there's ways to do it, but you know, when people are upset, getting that, you know, automated response doesn't help anybody. And I, I think that there always will be a human touch there. So I was talking to a business owner a couple of weeks ago, and this, I, I was kind of taken aback that, that some of their marketing scheme is that they want to kind of go back to like old school. And so I was asking, are you talking about print? Are you talking about it? But it's more of a feeling um, of, this bombardment of, of, of this, all this digital presence that they feel like there's um, almost like that we're getting whiplash out of it. I mean, how do you see it? Is there, is there a movement of kind of going back to some of the old school ways of marketing? I mean, I would say yes, but strategically. I mean, it's funny. I, uh, before I got in heavily into the marketing agency space, I managed student housing. And uh, one of the things that always worked for us were direct mailers, like print mailers. 
um, because everyone is so used to this digital side that like what broke through the noise was getting something in your mailbox addressed to you in an envelope and having the excitement of actually opening it, holding it and reading it. And that was really interesting to me. I think it really depends on the market. And I think there's a little bit of everything. I, I think like in that same example, direct mail still works because we're getting less and less in our mailbox. Again, when it's not political season. Um, but we are getting less and less in our mailbox. I check every letter now. There's no just like, I'm going to assume all of this is junk. There, there's a process of going through it because I want to make sure. Because if someone's writing me at this point in this day and age, it's probably important. And so strategically figuring out how you do those advertisements is very important as well. Maybe instead of a postcard that just feels like spammy still, it's, you know, an, a letter in an envelope. And even if it's, you know, mass produced, at least it, it elicits that, you know, open it up, take a look at it, analyze, and even figure out that it's mass produced, you already captured more of their attention. You know, as far as digital platforms go, I just think that we need to get more creative. You know, I think there's so many things that people just aren't even utilizing. People aren't utilizing retargeting, advertising to its fullest capability especially with how many platforms are, you know, allowing retargeting pixels now, you know, Pinterest, LinkedIn, these are platforms that have their own retargeting availability that, you know, just because someone figured out about you on Facebook doesn't mean they're not using LinkedIn later and, and seeing you again there will help create that presence, especially if you really focus those retargeting ads to what pages the user went to on your website and really specialize there. For an example, say you have three service offerings and you know people that have gone to each of those pages should be getting different advertisements focused very on that service. And, uh, and taking advantage of those opportunities gets you kind of at that square one that you should be anyway. Beyond that, there are so many publications and content creators that the availability to create awareness marketing is endless. Um, you just need to find the right spots. You know, I know some food and beverage brands that are now starting to sponsor Twitch, which is a social media platform for gamers where gamers are streaming them game, themselves gaming. You know, food and beverage companies are now buying ads on there because for third party delivery, um, you know, such as Uber Eats, um, what are you going to order when you're gaming? You're going to get pizza. You're going to get, you know, some food delivered and, and you're going to keep staying comfy in that chair, enjoying your experience. And so, uh, that's a platform that's been around for a while, but advertisers weren't even looking at that until now. No one wanted to believe in e-gaming. There's Reddit as an opportunity that you, there's subreddits for every single topic that you th can think about. You can advertise based off of subreddits. So any website that you've been to including even, again, more risque websites. All of these have advertising opportunities. And uh, for an example, if you are a divorce attorney and there are some risque websites that people usually go down, maybe it's worth looking for advertising opportunities there um, because they are available. And so where I go, digital is getting burnt out. Sure, if you're just running the same old Facebook ad constantly, but if you're looking for these new opportunities and really staying on the top of your game, they really are endless. So I, I know we're almost running out of time, but you, you, you went into that world and I, I have to do a follow-up. So you're talking about some risque. Obviously, I would say maybe about 10 years or less, 
it would almost be suicide for your company to go into some of these things. So are, are folks just becoming much more open-minded or do you have to be very, obviously you have to be strategic, but is it particular brands that will work better? It's definitely particular brands. I don't think a Pornhub ad for Disney is going to fly too well. Um, I do think that a Pornhub ad for a divorce attorney would. Um, I don't think it's necessarily brand suicide um, if it fits your brand. Um, you know, however it is, if it doesn't fit your brand. Um, I think people are becoming a lot more lax on certain topics, right? I think there's becoming a, I think social media has connected us in a way that we can understand that we're not the only ones that are partaking in certain activities. I think it's a lot of the movement behind legalizing cannabis has, has kind of fallen down this way where people realize like, okay, it's not like I'm the only one who snuck around and snuck a joint in like, you know, ninth grade. Um, that that's a kind of a, a very widely experienced uh, happening that, you know, some of these things become less taboo. We become connected. We realize we're not the only ones doing these things. I think pornography is something that, you know, if we're going to stick on this specific example has become a lot more accepted that most people have at least seen it. Um, and so I go, when you look at, you know, TV showing more things and, and content becoming, you know, pushing that boundary, it's really about the content you're sponsoring. I mean, it's the same thing where the reason TV shows didn't go down that, you know, path of being more risque is because the advertisers would pull their money. Well, now the market has been responding that more people are watching that content. And so advertisers look to where eyeballs are. There's a million and one eyeballs somewhere, you know, it's worth at least the consideration of, do I want to be in front of that audience? So something like a vodka, that would make sense. You go into a, a risque thing, that would make sense because it's a doll. Now, I got to say, between the Clydesdales and Mickey Mouse now crying. So now you've made all, all our, our folks cry. <laughs> it is a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for always joining us and giving us such insight. Um, gang, uh, I, I, we have Clydesdales and Mickey Mouse crying. But, but, but thank you all for joining us. And we're going to uh, make sure that we keep on bringing you the best information that we possibly can. Thank Thanks. you, Gregory. I appreciate it, guys. You've been listening to Let's get up to business from Jordan Law. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and would consider sharing the show. We would also love an honest five-star review through iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcatcher you use. If you are interested in being a guest of the podcast, please contact producer Mark through email at mark at jordanlawfl.com. Use the subject line, podcast guest, in your email. Thank you. We look forward to speaking to you again soon.